Hello, and welcome to How Long Must We Sing This Song with Doug Vinisky, where we talk about perspectives, creativity, health, and finding solutions to long-existing problems. Today we're talking about aldehydes. Aldehydes are a molecule that I've learned about in recent years that I find fascinating. If you're interested in your health and well-being, there's a high likelihood that you've heard of oxidative stress and antioxidants. Aldehydes are directly connected to oxidative stress. Antioxidants are often used to combat oxidative stress, but we'll get into that another time. Today I want to focus on just giving a basic primer on understanding the, the science behind aldehydes. Okay, what are aldehydes? The study of aldehydes has been attracting a lot of attention these days. Aldehydes are a chemically reactive agent. That means they are unstable molecules, but that doesn't necessarily make them a bad thing. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of different types of aldehydes, and we're only beginning to understand them all. I don't think we know the full numbers on different types, so I don't believe they've been completely identified or classified as molecules. According to Britannia, um, aldehydes are defined as any class of organic compounds in which a carbon atom shares a double bond with an oxygen atom, a single bond with a hydrogen atom, and a single bond with another atom or group of atoms, which in chemical structures is designated with an R when you look at chemical formulas. Today, I'm talking about aldehydes in connection to human health, but I don't want to give the impression that all aldehydes are bad. They're just molecules. They're used by our cells for metabolic processes, and they are produced as waste by cellular processes. These molecules are found everywhere. Exogenous aldehydes, which are those found outside the body, are widespread in nature. Items like vanilla, cinnamon, cilantro, and citrus are examples of aldehydes found in foods. These are sweet-smelling aldehydes that tend to be used in the fragrance industry and in the cleaning industries. In fact, it was Chanel No. 5 that popularized aldehydes for the first time in industrial use by using them in a perfume for the first time. These naturally occurring aldehydes are harmless. The smell of toast is another smell created by an aldehyde and many fermented and pickled foods contain aldehydes. Endogenous aldehydes are produced within the body. These are produced as a normal byproduct of cellular metabolism and oxidative stress. Generally speaking, these aldehydes don't affect your overall health and well-being. They're just waste, they're a byproduct. However, when the aldehydic load, the overall aldehyde levels that can be found on a cellular or an organ level, when that load level of aldehydes get out of balance, individual aldehydes can contribute to disease. The aldehydes to pay more attention to originate outside the body, and generally speaking, those are the ones causing the greatest concern these days. First, we have toxic aldehydes. Toxic aldehydes are primarily found in two forms. They come from environmental pollutants, and they come from vol volatile aldehydes, which are found in spoiled foods and rancid nuts. They're what turn the f three aldehydes in particular. Formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, and acrolein are known to have the most significant effects on human health. These aldehydes occur in high concentrations in tobacco smoke and exhaust from any combustion engine, gas or diesel. They are also found in household products and cleaners. They're found in office furniture. They're all around us.
So occupational health exposures to these industrial and chemical pollutants occur in industries that manufacture resins, wood products, paper, textiles, carpet, and leather goods. Low-grade home exposures are happening on a nearly constant basis. If there is paint, wood products, carpet, or plastic around, there are likely to be aldehydes in the environment. If you smell gas or exhaust, you are probably inhaling some toxic aldehydes. Going back to food, researchers have shown the presence of certain aldehydes in food, which have been linked to neurodegenerative diseases and some types of cancer. These toxic aldehyde compounds can be found in some oils like sunflower oil when they are heated to a frying temperature and they, that changes the chemical structure, they, became, they become toxic. Many in the holistic, naturopathic, functional medicine and keto communities have known about these toxic oils for quite some time and avoid them at great lengths. Now, I don't mean to make it sound like these are horrible aldehyde molecules everywhere killing us and there's nothing to do about it. Quite the opposite is true. There's a great deal we can do about it. Fortunately, the detoxification process for our oxidizing, reducing, and changing the form of toxic or bioactive aldehydes are, is very effective within our metabolic system on a cellular and systemic level. This is why there, are, there is a relatively rare occurrence of acute aldehyde-related toxicities. Most aldehyde-related diseases are genetic in nature, or they occur as part of a gradual buildup, as I mentioned. In research related to mitochondria disorders and Alzheimer's disease, researchers speak of hitting a tipping point of an aldehydic load. This upper limit, this threshold, is different for everyone, but the thought is that a chronic strain is created by ongoing exposures to the same or different aldehydes, and eventually this pushes a specific aldehyde level to the point of causing a, a local or system-wide injury. Now, a healthy person's ability to metabolize exposure to environmental aldehydes is one thing, but some aldehydes are known carcinogens, so let's talk a bit more specifically about them. Two aldehydes, formaldehyde and acetaldehyde, are known genotoxic car carcinogens. This means they initiate cancers, they also damage DNA. In addition to that, they are irritants, so when people complain of smoke irritating them, their eyes, their lungs, their breathing um, from vehicle exhaust or smoke, in a, in a cigarette smoke in an environment. This is due to formaldehyde. When you drink alcohol, the second stage in the metabolism of ethanol pr produces acetaldehyde, which causes the hangover feeling of nausea and the symptom of flushing. To be clear, the metabolic byproduct of ethanol alcohol is a genotoxic carcinogen. Ethanol alcohol is simply a carcinogen, not that I mean to call any carcinogen simple. The point is, despite what is reported in the media these days that one to two drinks a day is good for heart health, I think many cancer and aldehyde researchers would probably say otherwise. Uh, in fact, the NIH's National Cancer Institute states the evidence indicates that the more alcohol a person drinks, particularly the more alcohol a person drinks regularly over time, the higher his or her risk of developing an alcohol-associated cancer. These are just some of the reasons the study of aldehydes is attracting so much attention these days. Aldehydes are a fascinating gateway to better understanding our individual health, and once we crack the code on aldehydes, 
As we have begun to do with genetics, we may be able to learn an incredible amount about navigating away from disease with personalized treatments and interventions. So what should you do about aldehydes? This may sound like complex and dire science stuff, and maybe you just want to know what to do about it and don't care about the science part. I'm with you, but to learn what to do about it, first you have to be aware of it and you have to be able to monitor cellular health for these substances. The blunt and concise answer about what to do would be this. First, limit your exposure to toxic aldehydes, meaning avoid polluted areas when possible and avoid smoking cigarettes, avoid secondhand cigarette smoke, and avoid drinking alcohol. Number two, since aldehydes are a byproduct of lipid peroxidation and oxidative stress, use lifestyle interventions that reduce oxidative stress to lower or control your overall aldehydic load level. This is going to mean things like eating less meat, eating more plants, increasing your activity level, getting better sleep, and meditating or doing breathing exercises or practicing yoga, tai chi, or some other breath-based work that will help you manage your emotional and mental stress and reduce your oxidative stress level. The more this activity is purely focused on breathing, I think the better it is for your oxidative stress and aldehydic load levels, which that is my, my thought, it is unproven. However, yoga, tai chi, and qigong and similar exercises are great too, anything that's really focused on breathing. Number three, and what to do about aldehydes, if you have an iPhone, open the health app. Go to the health data page and focus on the four categories they present there. Activity, mindfulness, nutrition, and sleep. Those are the core interventions to manage and improve overall health and help extend longevity. They were practiced for thousands of years in many medical systems before modern drugs, surgery, and apps came about. So give them a go. They're also precisely the interventions used to improve oxidative stress levels and aldehyde metabolism. So even though aldehydes do pose a serious health concern, it's sort of nice to know that part of the answer to dealing with them comes down to doing the things we sort of already know we should be doing. Now for a more in-depth answer on what to do about aldehydes and oxidative stress, we'll have to wait for another episode as the focus today is on covering the basic science. If you're interested in learning more about what you can do and the lifestyle interventions you can try to manage your aldehyde metabolism, please subscribe to this podcast. If you're curious to learn more about aldehydes in general, then let's get going. However, first, I want to say I don't know much about aldehydes. I've done work for a breath analysis company focused on measuring and monitoring breath aldehyde levels in order to gauge the efficacy of lifestyle and other interventions on aldehyde and oxidative stress levels. I am not an aldehyde scientist or researcher. I'm just a former California licensed acupuncturist now studying for national and organ licensure. If you're an aldehyde researcher or chemist and you have an addition or correction to this, please message me. Better yet, I'd love to talk to you. Let's record a conversation and educate more people on aldehydes and get more research going. Also, if you are a chemist or researcher, I'm sure the rest of this episode will be a bit too basic for you, so let's talk. On the other hand, if you're not a chemist or researcher and you're like me and you can barely understand chemistry, yet you find aldehydes fascinating and find yourself amazed that we don't know more about how they affect our health, then please listen on.
Let's cover some key terms to understanding aldehydes. First, oxidative stress. Oxidative stress occurs in all living organisms. It represents the stress or the strain that's created on a cellular level and then in turn a systemic level when free radicals overwhelm cellular material and then the surrounding tissue. When left unmanaged, long-term imbalances can manifest in disease and accelerate aging. Free radicals. Free radicals are atoms or groups of atoms that have lost an unbonded electron. These loose electrons damage tissue. Imagine a bowling ball that's jumped the, the lane divider. If you have just one bowling ball flying around a bowling alley, chances are mostly everything and everyone is going to be okay. If you are in a bowling alley and there are a bunch of bowling balls jumping lanes and bouncing all over the place, there's probably going to be a bunch of problems. This is where the free radical theory of aging comes from, which has been well debated over the years. I'll leave that theory alone for now, but the damage caused by these loose electrons, these loose bowling balls, is what causes the damage called oxidative stress. Lipid peroxidation. Lipid peroxidation is a downstream activity from oxidative stress. Lipids, or fats, are responsible for maintaining the structural integrity of cellular membrane. Oxidative stress results in lipid peroxidation, the breakdown of cellular fats, the breakdown of those cellular lipids. In this process, lipids, or fat cells, steal electrons from neighboring fat cells in what becomes a cascading reaction that damages cells and their membranes. As one fat cell loses an electron, it steals one from its neighbor. That fat cell steals another one from its neighbor, and you have this cascading reaction. As a result, oxidative stress and lipid peroxidation have been linked to a huge variety of pathological disease states. Examples of these include inflammation, arteriosclerosis, neurodegenerative diseases, and cancer. Reactive oxygen species. The National Cancer Institute defines reactive oxygen species as a type of unstable molecule that contains oxygen and that easily reacts with other molecules in a cell. A buildup of reactive oxygen species in cells may cause damage to DNA, RNA, and proteins and may cause cell death. Reactive oxygen species are often called free radicals. They're also often called an oxygen radical. Metabolite. Metabolite is a substance formed during a metabolic process or as a result of a metabolic process, which brings us to metabolomics, which is the study of metabolites. An incredible amount of learning is taking place from studying compounds involved in cellular and systemic metabolism. Where genetics helps us understand how nature shaped us, metabolomics is believed to be the key to understanding the environmental or nurture side of the equation. Volatile organic compounds, also known as VOCs or called VOX, are emitted by metabolites. VOCs are unique identifiers released by all metabolites that are endpoints of cellular process in biological cells, tissues, organs, and organisms. VOCs represent a new frontier for disease diagnostics, with particular interest being paid to VOCs released by cancerous cells to create early screening. Now, why do these terms matter to understanding aldehydes? Well, because of their short life, the free radicals produced during lipid peroxidation have a limited local effect, and they are incredibly difficult to measure and monitor. Aldehydes are a byproduct of oxidative stress and lipid peroxidation that can provide information about those cellular processes. In fact, in a scientific statement published by the American Heart Association, it was noted that the measurements of lipid peroxidation products 
are therefore not only sensitive assessments of ROS generation, but they also provide mechanistic insights into the pathogenesis of ROS-induced injury. Meaning, aldehydes are a great way to not just understand oxidative stress status, but they can also help us understand how diseases develop. It thus stands to reason, if we can learn more about how diseases develop by studying aldehydes, and find a way to measure and monitor these fleeting volatile organic compounds. And, and I do know firsthand great advances have been made here in measurement, then we can understand what lifestyle interventions affect aldehydes. We can better titrate drug therapies for aldehyde diseases. And working in concert with genetic data, we can then further personalize treatments to a person's changing aldehyde patterns to better prevent disease. To summarize, if we can gain better insight into our cellular health status, we can better manage our overall health. Aldehydes provide a window into that, as aldehydes are intrinsic to cellular metabolism. The toxic nature of aldehydes has been known for a long time. Aldehydes diffuse easily through cell membranes and create additional reactions with macromolecules, including proteins, DNA, and lipids. These aldehydic reactions usually modulate or disrupt the functions of those macromolecules. According to a recent article published on behalf of the European Society of Cardiology, although low levels of ROS and aldehydes may be regarded as second messengers that trigger stress-activated antioxidant mechanisms, it is nevertheless critical that the cells maintain a defensive capacity to prevent acute or chronic buildup of oxidative stress and toxic aldehydes, as these cause irreversible injuries. What to do about that? As I mentioned earlier, avoid toxic aldehydes and focus on uh, lifestyle interventions which reduce oxidative stress. What does all of this mean? Well, aldehydes are complex molecules we're just beginning to study and understand. They appear in harmless and unhealthy forms, and while they are essential components of basic cellular metabolic processes and thus cellular and systemic health, and while the human body is adept at dealing with them, modern industries, modern products, and modern diets cause greater exposure to them. Aldehydes seem especially important today when toxic aldehydes are found so ubiquitously in air, water, soil, and building pollution around the world. According to the World Health Organization, air pollution is now one of the world's largest health risks when excluding communicable diseases. The principal causes of death due to environmental factors include stroke, heart disease, cancers, and chronic respiratory disorders. All disease states that we also see linked to with aldehydes. Sensing volatile organic compounds is currently viewed as a promising approach, especially for the development of fast, non-invasive, and inexpensive disease screening tools to monitor exposure to toxic molecules. China, in particular, has been experiencing a growing epidemic called sick building syndrome, where workers and communities are becoming very sick. This is directly related to the evaporation or off-gassing of toxic volatile organic compounds, like aldehydes, from some of the industrial and chemical products mentioned earlier. This is becoming a great growing concern, and monitoring these environments becomes extremely important to public health as we move forward. The issue with aldehydes in all of life happens when they go out of balance. Scientists are currently studying that balance, and as they learn more, I'll share more here. Thanks for listening.
Now a friendly neighborhood disclaimer for regulators. I am not a medical doctor and this podcast should not replace medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner if you have healthcare concerns or before you change your health regimen. Thanks again for listening.